0: well hello there how's it going eh this is what you've been playing wednesday and this is a special weekly episode that's a compilation of all the board games that we've been playing recently and contributing on this episode are matthew legault of scorpio masqué dyson dragon board on the air of dyson men the meeple dungeon Friday Night Games, definitely a board game podcast, and Cardboard Conjecture. Remember to check out the show notes for links to all of the content of the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast. Have fun exploring all these great content creators, eh?
1: Hello, I am A.A. Ron Milich. And I'm Royce Calverley. And we are definitely a board game podcast, a podcast definitely about board games, except when they're not. And we definitely are. We definitely are. And we're here. What you've been playing Wednesday? I know what I've been playing Wednesday. Can I tell you? Yep. Yep. All right. Tell me what you've been playing. I'll go first. So I got a new one here. It's called Lanterns, the Harvest Festival. I mean, new to me. It's not that new. It came out in 2015. Christopher Chung designed it. Renegade Game Studios. They published it great game this is one i've been putting off for a long time because some of the reviews haven't been that positive about it uh and but i love the look of the box i love the idea and uh i finally just took the plunge said you know what to hell with it i'm getting it and i really really like it you're basically matching cards or tiles really uh to other lanterns that are sort of just shimmering on the lake it's really kind of zen like and as you match cards, you get colored lantern cards. Unfortunately, so does your opponent, though. When you get them, your opponent does too. But what you're trying to do is collect sets of two or sets of four or one of each color of all seven. And if you can do that, you can trade those in for points. So three sets of two, one set of four, or seven of a different, uh, seven different lanterns, so you can trade them in for points. And at basically at the end of the game, whoever has the most point wins. You also get Player tokens, whenever you build from a float that's in the lanterns, uh, and you can trade those tokens in for cards as well. Had a lot of fun with this one. Of course, the wife beat me. What else is new? (laughs) Story of my life. Lanterns, the Harvest Festival. Check it out.
2: Royce? Yeah, great game, especially with four players. With four players, it really sings because that... Stress of having to give other colors to people and which color do you give to who is really makes the game really come together. Royce
1: is just yeah. saying that hurt my feelings because it's COVID and we can't have anyone over, but that's okay. I'll, <laughs> I'll pretend he didn't say anything. It's just something to look forward to. All right. Yes. When all of this nonsense is over, Royce, what you've been playing Wednesday? Well, you played a new game, I
2: played an old game. My game was from 2013. Whoa, even older than mine. <laughs> yeah. So my game is designed by Jamie Stegmeier and Alan Stone. It's released by Stonemeyer Games. This is my favorite of the Stonemeyer games. Other people swear by Wingspan or Scythe or all these other games. No, no. This is my favorite. This is Euphoria. Build a better dystopia. And Grace and I played it twice this week. We really enjoyed it. It, we, it's, it's a hard game to explain in some ways. It's a dice action placement game. But what makes this game sing, what really makes it work, is the humor. It's funny. And funny is such a hard thing to do in board games, right? It it doesn't just get old. It actually keeps being funny. And you're in this dystopian society. You're attempting to send your workers out. But if your workers get too smart, maybe you have to eliminate one of those smart ringleader workers and get rid of them. Uh, You are attempting to get your faction of society to be in charge, you're drugging your workers with bliss in order to keep them happy. Wow! You're shocking them with electricity <laughs> to keep them active, and then you're going to all these marketplaces. And even the marketplaces are hilarious. Like, uh, some of i will give you a few examples. There's the "Together We Work Alone" camp. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's the theater of en- endless monotony.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Or my
2: one of my favorites. Ready? The Palace of Forced Altruism. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and that's it. That's the game. It's that humor combined with an amazing mechanism, a, a decently heavy Euro game, a neat take on dice placement where you lose workers throughout the game, but you don't really care. Uh, this is my favorite of Jamie Stegmeier games for sure.
1: And it's no coincidence that you're talking about Jamie Stegmeier. Do you want to tell them why? <laughs>
2: Oh, we somehow we have accomplished a feat. Yep. Our episode 26 came out yesterday. For those of you who haven't downloaded and listened to it yet, go pick it up. We had Jamie Stegmeier as our guest on episode 26. You did. Jamie Stegmeier, people. Yeah. He wanted to spend time with
1: us. We don't know why.
2: can't for the life of us figure out why he wanted to be on our show. But Jamie Stegmeier was on our show, episode 26. Come on. We'll talk about some of his games. We talk about his design philosophy. We talk about all sorts of things. It's a brilliant interview. You're going to have a great time. Come listen don't know what to say other than wow Jamie Stegnier was on definitely a board game podcast episode 26 you can download that from anywhere where podcasts live
1: yeah and if you can't find it in a podcast distributor just go on the on the website or sorry, on google rather and google definitely board game podcast go to our website watch it there and if you want to let us know what you thought you can email us at or if, or if you're on twitter at board definitely let us know what you thought there
2: and if you're on Facebook, at, at definitely bored. There you go.
1: All right, folks. We'll see you at the next one. Bye, everybody. Bye.
3: Hey everyone, I'm Matt and I'm John. And we're Friday Night Games. You can find us on Instagram at Friday Night Games underscore official. Twitter at FridayNightGMS, our website FridayNight.Games, and our podcast every Friday on your favorite streaming platform.
4: So tonight, we're going to talk to you about Robotech Reconstructed by Dr. <laughs> Wix, because <laughs> Jason said last week that we'd be talking about it, so... Uh, and we
3: disappointed.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I think we disappointed everybody, yeah. including ourselves, but... Um, so just briefly that is an economic game is actually really fun we had a great time playing it with the creators dr wix austin from dr wix and jason from dice and dragons who is on this podcast some maybe this week i don't know who knows (laughs) (laughs) maybe he'll be talking about it but uh the game is awesome especially if you are a hardcore robotech fan just like him you basically need to get it but we had a lot of fun playing it it's asymmetric everyone had totally different moves it was super complicated. I don't even remember how to play.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big Robotech fan at all. I didn't even know what Robotech is. It's uh, Macross. cross. And I had. Uh, yeah, I'm just a joke. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> There's crickets there. Uh, <laughs> um, but I had a lot of fun playing it, and it was fun kind of learning my my character and uh, what what they did in the game. So
4: yeah, so definitely check that out. I think that uh, you can. It's available for pre order in June nice it comes out from uh, Japan anime games so definitely definitely give that a spin and if they have enough uh people loving it they might do some other solo stuff they told us not to say that but if we all bug them enough we can get <laughs> solo content for it so
3: for sure so yeah look up uh, dr Wicks. that's wictZ um, on any of their socials and uh, I think they're demoing some games I know they're looking for for some some demoers as well. So specifically on one of those, so. specifically
4: for Robotech. So, all right. So let's talk about uh, what we played tonight.
3: Yeah, we played an, actually like a really cool game uh, on our on our Twitch stream. Uh, so Friday night, GMS on Twitch.tv. TV. Uh, we played the game One Card Wonder, which was designed by Nat Levan and published by Ape Games. It's going to hit Kickstarter on April twentieth.
4: Yeah, get excited! So. Players are using resources to build a lost wonder of the world.
3: Uh, The wonders are built from the ground up. So uh, they're laid out on one card um, and there's there's boxes you have to build on. So you start with the bottom row and build up from there.
4: And then if you're using resources, which you have a max of eight, Um, if you don't have enough resources to build your wonder, you can then spend them on buildings, which give you these special abilities. And there are a bunch of cards and everyone gets to choose from two at the very beginning, which give you different abilities from other players.
3: Yeah, that was cool. I like that part. Um, there's also a general supply that you can take resources from. So basically when you draw resources, um, to put on your supply, you draw three, keep two and put the other one into the general supply.
4: And there are hero cards, which you can use to have one-time abilities throughout the game. And then there's four main actions in the game, which we won't go too much into, but you can pull resources from the bag. You can take resources from the board that are left over. You can build either on your board or on uh, your wonder. And then the last one is you can sell two resources of the same to get a wild card coin. And it plays out very fast and very furious. Games only take like 15 minutes.
3: Yeah. So, what'd you like about it, Matt? Games only take 15 (laughs) minutes. (laughs) I I, when we were playing with playing with Nat setting up, he's like, "What I like about it is that you can like order some food and play a couple games before your food gets there on game night," and he thinks that's you know super important. Um. For any game night, have those quick games.
4: Just a note, you know, we played it uh, 30 minutes over Tabletopia. And if we actually had the dexterity that we do in real life, (laughs) (laughs) you would be able to play it in 15 minutes very easily.
3: For sure. Um, I really enjoyed the artwork. Uh, The artwork's pretty beautiful on it. And uh, each card has kind of a historical fact on the the wonder and the hero cards. And they're all, um, the hero cards are all real people from history, which is pretty cool.
4: Right with dates and everything.
3: <clears throat>
4: uh, what didn't we like?
3: Um, it's not that we didn't like anything about the game. Um, just in a, we played a three-player game, and unfortunately, uh, in a three-player setup, um, there's this move that's in the other game with four players plus where you can trade between uh, resources between players, just just to help eliminate some of that downtime. Uh, between your moves, but because a, a three-player game moves pretty quickly, they they eliminated that aspect of it. Um, and I think with that um, and the uh, limitations of tabletop, sorry, tabletopia, um, it would be really hard to do that digitally anyway.
4: Right, and I think like. It's like a whole hot potato thing. You're basically passing the bag around to determine whose turn it is. I think it's just such a cool element that we didn't get to try. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing we didn't get to try was the uh, leader cards, which have that one-time ability, which I think would be really powerful. Maybe help you out in, in bad situations.
3: So right. I think we just you know did the base easy game just for ease of of learning and, and uh, streaming technical and, difficulties and technical <laughs> difficulties for sure
4: <laughs> that we always seem to run into as we're demoing with other people so uh how do we play it wrong uh
3: i don't think i don't think we'd played the game wrong uh but just a strategy i know that i used in the game was uh on the on your player board there's kind of four uh, sections that you can build buildings on and they give you different um Abilities throughout the game, different uh, things you can do. And I focus a little too much on that, which slowed me down from building my actual wonder to win the game. So by the time I was ready to build a little bit of my wonder, um, Nat was pretty much... He just annihilated us. Yeah, he, <laughs> yeah, we had
4: like... I had, I, we both had half our wonder built. But I, I, yeah, I did notice that the one key that I played wrong, I kind of noticed it halfway through, was that as you're collecting resources... Your wonder only has a certain number of resources it can use of, of each type. And then you're going to have access resources all the time. You want to spend those on your special abilities to then... It's a kind of a way to, to clear up your... You, know, you can only hold eight at a time. So it's a way to clear more room for more resources to help you build quicker.
3: Yeah, I think when he was explaining the game to us, I maybe didn't hear him quite clearly on what the player board um entailed so when i chose mine i i looked at the resources that i needed on my board so it was kind of like hindering my gameplay. So i chose a, i chose a a uh, player board that had similar resources to my board so i had to really pick and choose what i wanted to do so
4: sweet so that hits kickstarter april 20th uh i say definitely i'm gonna back it for sure
3: nice yeah the game's called one card wonder um by ape games designed by nat Levan. um i'm john And I'm Matt. And we're Friday Night Games. So check us out on Instagram, Friday Night underscore official, Twitter at FridayNightGMS, and our website, FridayNight.Games. Thank you.
5: Hey everyone, Chad here from Of Dice and Men, a bi-weekly-ish podcast and regular Twitch stream where we talk about board games, the people who play them, and the culture surrounding the hobby. This week, I am really, really, really excited to talk to you about a game I played just a few days ago, but first let me set the scene. It's the early 90s and you're visiting your cousin's house, his dad got some sort of high-tech job, and he's one of the few kids you know that have a PC in their house. So naturally, you and your cousin spend most of your lazy Sunday afternoons playing games on three-and-a-quarter-inch floppies. Normally, you'd be taking turns at Commander Keen or Wolf3D, but this week, your cousin is excited to show you something new. A point-and-click adventure game. Whether it was Space Quest or Hugo's House of Horrors or Maniac Mansion or even Leisure Suit Larry, the point-and-click genre holds a special place in the heart of a lot of old-school PC gamers like myself. And even though they've recreated a more modern point-and-click experience, games like Telltale's Walking Dead series or Heavy Rain, there's something to be said for those classic, here's a boatload of items, figure out what to do with them, style of gameplay from the early 90s. Well, I'm here to tell you it's back. Cantaloupe Breaking into Prison is a game published by Lookout Spiel, and it is basically the exact same experience as those old text adventure games, albeit in paper form. You manage an inventory of items that can be used with elements on the one-page scenes or other items, and you do your best to find clever ways of moving forward in the storyline, dodging the clever red herrings that end up mocking your poor choices along the way. Cantaloupe came out of left field for me. It's a game I ordered on a whim from a board game bliss listing. I was frankly quite surprised when I received it. It's actually a coil-bound binder full of glossy pages and a few deck boxes glued on the inside cover to hold the cards of the game. Inside the binder came a few key items, namely a large inventory sheet, a postcard with a few locations to visit, and a red filter to reveal and decode the hidden text on every page. The tutorial on the first few pages went over the mechanics of the game quite quickly. Scenery, inventory, and clever combinations will reveal four character codes, which will then have a corresponding entry to reveal and read to proceed in the story. Once you go through the first minutes of tutorial and introductory text, You're left to your own devices, holding nothing but a cell phone and a magnifying glass, which, of course, embodies the ever-present look-and-use commands. Much like the point-and-click adventure games of old, it's up to you to read between the lines and think of all the clever ways you can combine inventory with environment to get past each hurdle you come across. And much like those games, this story is modeled after. There's tons of humor written here. The narrative itself is a revenge caper, your character returning to their hometown to enact a plot against the past rival, and the situations and resolutions you find along the way will have you laughing out loud. The game rewards your interesting plays with a few hidden easter eggs, like how knowledge of the hitchhiker's guide won me the coveted nerd award, or combining a coin and a magnet got me the rocket scientist badge both of which didn't provide any actual gameplay value short of making you laugh. Each environment is wonderfully illustrated as well. The locations you can visit are represented by single-page backdrops featuring several people and items you can interact with, again invoking memories of Hero's Quest. The items you find along the way are just as well drawn, most coming with their own little quip of flavor text, and no shortage of imaginary ways of creating combinations that might just be the thing you need. The mechanics of the game are identical to the predecessor as well. You're presented with a series of narrative opportunities, maybe a dropbox full of keycards or an elevator with a code or a bouncer that collects certain items, and it's up to you to figure out what item fits where. You'll have a lot of aha moments as you play and figure out that clever combination that allows you to proceed to the next chapter of the story, not unlike an escape room game like the Unlock or Exit series. In fact, I'd compare Cantaloupe to that recent board game subgenre the most, although Cantaloupe gives a much richer narrative experience. In Cantaloupe, you'll be having conversations with NBCs and exploring new locations, with the sole purpose of moving the story forward, which is a bit more thematic and concrete than a lot of the Escape Room game series, where the goal is mostly to, well, escape. Cantaloupe also clocks in at a much larger playtime, the publisher throwing around about 6-10 to 10 hours per adventure, whereas an Escape Room game you can reasonably expect to finish in 1-2 to two hours. And finally, Cantaloupe Breaking into Prison is only book one, Lookout Spiel and the designers have two more books planned in the series, and if the release goes well, a few different ideas in the same format. It's true that these do suffer a bit from the one-and-done replayability issue that escape rooms have, but just like a lot of those games, you can easily pass the game on once you're done with it to spread the experience to your friends and family. I definitely recommend any fan of the point-and-click genre to check out this wonderful game, and I'm already anxiously awaiting their next release in the series. You can catch myself streaming Cantaloupe and other games on the regular on our Twitch channel of Dice and Men YQR and tune into our podcast every other week or so for an insightful discussion of a new topic every episode. Last episode, we discussed video games turned board game. We're also raising money for the Canadian Mental Health Association Regina branch this week. And by donating, you can win a copy of Kingdom Rush Rift in Time. Check out one of our Twitch videos this month for more details. Have a great week.
6: everybody, it's Rob and Anna-Marie Hello. from the Meeple Dungeon, uh, and here today we are going to be talking about two games. The first one we're going to talk about is Escape the Dark Sector, designed by Alex Crispin, Thomas Pike, James Shelton, and art by Alex Crispin as well, which I love the art. Great art. And uh, published by Themeborn. It's a co-op game for one to four players, takes about 45 minutes or so to play, uh, it's a sci-fi adventure game with focus on atmosphere, storytelling and uh, the the co op aspect of the game. Uh, it's got a very quick setup uh, and a little bit di- more difficult to, to learn than than advertised.
7: Yeah, everyone said it's really quick to learn. The instructions yeah. say ten minutes and then you can just <laughs> no, look it up as you play. No. Like, nah. no,
6: we had to do a lot of digging on a few things, but once we figured it out, it's actually quite simple, but once we once we deciphered what we we're supposed to be up to, yeah. it uh It really, uh, started rolling for us. But, uh, to give you a little overview here, it's, uh, yeah, it's a co-op game, and you're all crew members on a starship, uh, that has been confined to a detention block of a massive, massive space station. Uh, you're moving through three phases, uh, with four scenarios in each phase, uh, and then you reach an end boss in the game, and that boss is between you and your ship, and you're trying to get on your ship and fly away. Um... Yeah, Annemarie, tell us uh, some things about this game.
7: I really liked how the theme matched the feel of the game. Mm-hmm. I was feeling panicked when we played, so I liked that. The um, your health goes down so fast.
6: Yeah, it's super different. and
7: it makes it just makes every successful die roll feel like you've survived the impossible.
6: Yeah, you're. Yeah, with the die rolling there, yeah. that the whole game is is really about dice rolling so it's um, a lot of luck yeah there's a ton of luck involved yeah. but it's so but it does really make it realistic yeah. um, where you are we're each a different character and each character has different traits and there's those three main traits that you're rolling dice for which are your might cunning and wisdom and each each player has a different uh ratio of those those traits as well as a cybernetic implant that you get at the beginning of the game that uh gives you an, uh, an extra perk per your player, and you can dish those out at random or mm-hmm. whatever,
7: which really do come in handy? Yes,
6: they are, yeah, they're imperative uh, to to having a chance at winning this game um, yeah, like we said earlier, the game is super difficult. Uh, And it's yeah, there's a lot of luck involved, but you can mitigate that luck with uh, with certain like these implants and then you can pick up weapons and you can pick up items. And
7: also with choices you can make like a lot of the cards will give you choices. Mm -hmm. They'll say like, okay, you can evade so you can walk away. This may involve you losing one of your special cards or you can attack. And you may be thinking, all right, let's gung ho and go and attack. But then you lose really badly. You lose your health. Mm-hmm. So then the next cards, is you maybe make your choices differently. And, okay, let's evade this time. Or maybe right. we don't need to pester mm-hmm. these guys. Yeah,
6: sometimes you have the option of, of trying to sneak away and sneak around your yeah. obstacle. Um, and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you're just straight up having to fight whatever might be in front of you. A space alien or a robot or something. And you, uh, yeah, the, the rolling of the dice is everything. But then, like she said, you get to choose what you want to do and how you want to kind of approach each scenario. So I might hide, and then she might shoot her gun, and then uh, while uh, she's reloading her gun, I might shoot my gun, and then then we might go into close combat, and we're rolling different die as opposed to the die we're rolling for the ranged combat. And yeah, and each character that you're fighting against has different uh, strengths and weaknesses, and and yeah, your, your your health points plummet uh, quickly in this game. We were in our yeah. last game, we were in the in the second phase, because there's three phases to the game, one, two, and three, and there's four scenarios in each one, and we were about halfway through the game, and I was down to four life out of 12, which is really bad. <laughs> and uh, I thought for sure we weren't even going to come close to we winning were this scenario. We were
7: both at four to start, I think.
6: Yeah, and then the, the amount of... The, the 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 co-op stuff that comes into play here is making all these these crazy decisions and using each other's strengths to to our benefit. We actually made it to the end boss, and in the in the end scenario, I had one health left and I was able to hide my character while anna Marie was able to roll the final blow to take down the enemy. If I had even attempted to fight the the end boss here, I would have died and, yeah. and we would have lost. Because as soon as one of us dies, that we lose the scenario, or lose the whole game. Yeah. And yeah, it, it's it's an awesome game because we find ourselves every time that we get through a scenario that we didn't think we were going to defeat, like you basically high five at the end oh, yeah. of each one of them. You're so <laughs> we happy. High five
0: so many yeah, times.
6: Yeah, so in the many last times. <laughs> like it was like every round, we're like, holy, we're actually making it through here. Like, because it, it's it, like all is lost at, at some points, and you're just like, there's no way we make it through this. But then somehow your luck. Uh, gets you through there, and you, you keep on moving, and you're making your way closer and closer to your, your spaceship, and yeah, then you, you uh, get on your spaceship and leave. But yeah, this game is great. I can't wait for the expansions. I hear there's expansions coming for it, um, be and great. we're going to get those later this year. But yeah, highly recommended it. Uh, the second game we we're going to talk about is Czar from Rio Grand Games. Um, And it's a two-player abstract game. Marie, do you want to tell us about that one?
7: Sure. I'll try to run through it pretty quickly here. So, essentially, um, you have... Each player has an equal number of discs. Yeah, 30
6: 30 discs each. Yeah,
7: something like that. One player has white discs, one player has black discs. And all the discs are placed randomly on the board to start the game. Yeah, on a grid. On a grid, yeah. Yeah. And then... uh, each each side has an equal number of three type of types of discs. They're called czars, Zaras, and tots, and basically they're just differentiated by different uh, painting the rings, styles. Yeah, there's yeah.
6: no color or a dot or a dot and a ring. Right, so yes. it's very
7: easy to tell the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and then basically you're just trying to eliminate your opponent's discs. So you do this by placing your disc over your opponent's, mm-hmm. um, whoever if they're in an adjacent uh, adjacent line. Yep. And then um, y- you basically can have two actions aside from the very first one who only gets one action and then every time after that you each get two you can cap you have to capture as your first yeah like eliminate so a disc eliminate eliminate one of your opponents mm-hmm. and then the next one you can capture again or you can stack or you can pass. Right. I don't think we passed once in all the games we've no, played. But no. um, basically, if you stack, you make your discs or you make your, your stacks taller and mm-hmm. they're stronger. So you can eliminate stacks that are lower than you. Um, equal you, to or lower. Equal to or lower. Yeah. Right. Not yeah. ones that are higher. Yeah. And um, basically, there are two win conditions. You can uh, eliminate one complete type of your opponent's discs. So either the czars, the Zara's or the Tots, yeah. if one of them is gone. The game is over or you can make it so your opponent has no moves available at the start
6: of their turn yeah and we've played half a dozen games and you've won all of them yep and <laughs> that's not uh too uh, outrageous for us that's usually the way these things go and uh but no it's a super good game uh, highly recommend it. if you like abstracts this one's in the same series as Yinch from Such Rio Grande game. both of them are great yeah and people have yeah. asked me which one I like better and I kind of like them both uh, equally because yeah. they're very very different but very very good so yeah very fun uh, that's Czar, another great abstract game from Rio Grande uh, we're over time here again this has been Rob and Anna Marie from uh, the Meeple Dungeon and we will see you next week cheers see ya
8: What up, gamers? I'm Jason.
9: I'm Julie, and together we're Dice and Dragons. You can find us on our YouTube channel at Dice and Dragons, as well as on Instagram uh, at Facebook at Dice and Dragons and Twitter at Dice and Dragon.
8: Yes. So, oh, still got to try to get that ass one day. Maybe I'll have to fight someone for it. <laughs> So what have we been playing this week? Well, let's start with the first game that we got back to the table. It was Marvel Champions, and we were playing the new expansions. Well, the newest and <laughs> expansion, and a more recent one. It was Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. So what did you think of the two characters?
9: Well, I really enjoyed them both. Uh, I, I mean, I don't think either of them is my absolute favorite. I still have, you know... Uh, a nice place in my heart for others uh, that i still think are more fun to play i'm thinking doctor strange and uh thor for me personally at least smash smash mm-hmm. yeah but these are are fun they're they're different um they're similar uh to each other i would say uh, they have some similar things they play well together right because they're siblings
8: oh yeah exactly they're the twins so they're Alter-ego actions are the same, but when it comes to their power set, they're very different. But there are some small similarities in what you get in their deck. You also do get you know, an ally of Scarlet Witch or an ally of Quicksilver, which you're supposed to take out of the game if you're playing with your twin. But we chose not to do that. It doesn't make that much of a difference. And it really, we want to leave it in for review purposes.
9: So we've had a lot of review copies uh, that we've been doing recently, and it was nice to get this game back to the table. We both really enjoy it. Uh, And I really, I enjoyed having it. I enjoyed playing them. I think they're good additions. They're very strong. Uh, and we made uh, we made pretty good uh, against the villains.
8: Yeah, we did fairly well against Ultron. I really like Scarlet Witch's chaos magic. You gotta be careful because you just may get to that card that you don't want to draw. But it's a lot of fun. And Quicksilver's super speed. Once you get some upgrades, it's just absolutely devastating. I mean, Julie pulled off like a twenty hit combo, like twenty damage. You can just wreck people. So. I think fun. they did really. I think they did a really good job of adapting those heroes into the game, and they're really strong. One of the complaints that we had when we were playing the Once in Future Kang was how difficult it would be to fight Kang, like those different Kangs, separate. I gotta say, if you're playing Quicksilver or Scarlet Witch, I don't think it'd be that hard.
9: No, I think it'd probably. We'd we'd have to try it someday. But uh, I definitely think these are uh, worthwhile expansions. I, I enjoyed doing, uh, you know, doing those combos and getting all that damage out. So it was nice. Yeah,
8: definitely pick them up if you like Marvel Champions. We're cutting this one a little short. We probably could talk a lot more about the heroes. But we got two games played this weekend. So I'll let Julie talk about the next game that we
9: got played. Yeah, so we, we uh, took Bloodborne to the table uh and, Jesus- and this is
8: by simon games yep. designed by michael cinal and eric lang now you may be wondering why we didn't introduce the designers to scarlet witch and quicksilver well there's like three designer i think it's nate boggs i know there's sorry nate french michael boggs and caleb Gris there we go i remember the names okay
9: back to bloodborne so it's it uh, it's a cooperative game has minis uh and it is a spicy man yeah and has uh it has a little bit of that supernatural feel a little bit a lot of that supernatural feel uh so i was looking forward to to playing it uh and uh what can i say it's very combat heavy uh
8: i don't think it's necessarily combat heavy but combat is a big focus you can just okay. move around and explore but the way you combat is handled is incredibly important to the game because you do have to complete a hunt mission. Now, if you're lucky enough to not have to fight anything before then, maybe that's a good thing, maybe it's not.
9: Yeah, I don't want to uh, get into too much detail about this. I, I think, um, you know, if you're interested about this and you're interested about our opinion, we're big co-op players. We love playing co-op games. Uh, we love big co-op games. Uh, and in this case, it uh, let's just say it should hit a sweet spot. But there's a couple things that um, just didn't hit the mark for us, I would say.
8: No, and uh, I was sort of regretting not going all in or at least getting a copy of this, what well, was on Kickstarter. Uh, a friend of mine decided that they really enjoyed the game and. It gave me the opportunity because they were purchasing an all-in pledge to get myself a copy of the Blood Moon Pledge at a reasonable price. Now, one thing I will say about this game that is a gigantic negative, if you're looking at buying it in retail, the value is trash in Canada. I'm not gonna like mince any words about it. Like looking at some of the bigger board game stores that maybe aren't giving you a discount or anything. You're paying about 130 bucks for the base game. The expansion chalice dungeon is hundred dollars. Then you throw in the the Bloodborne box the kick, sorry the Blood Moon box the Kickstarter exclusives which you can't get Mergo's Loft is fifty bucks so you're sitting at like almost two hundred and eighty dollars and you haven't got nearly what was in the Kickstarter that I have an extra expansion for that ended up costing two hundred bucks so so that is a big negative for the game that being said I think the miniatures are nice if you're a fan of the PlayStation game you're gonna enjoy it because I think a good way to put this is I think they pull off a very good Bloodborne adaptation. Now, I'm not a fan of the game, but I do know the way the, the game works, the mechanics. I've looked into it, I have friends that are huge fans. So I think they really brought that experience to the table. That being said, I don't know if I'm really happy with the fact that they brought that experience to the table. I. Have- well,
9: I mean, if that's what you're looking for, that's great. Uh, I mean, for me, I like combat in certain situations. I didn't love the way combat happened in this game.
8: If you like games where every action matters and every card, every choice, every decision, then you're going to definitely enjoy this game because that's the way it works. The cards that you play, the sequence that you play, the decisions that you make are all going to matter and be critical. Very critical. The game is not that difficult to set up. It's easy to learn and play. There is a little bit of wonkiness to the rule book, but there's a nice FAQ out so you can definitely learn it, but not really getting into too many spoilers because our review is going to be out the next day. As Julie said, this really didn't hit the sweet spot for us. And I can safely say it's not going to be sticking around in the collection. And part of the reason for that is we need to call some games. We got too many.
9: So that's what we've been playing this week for the What You've Been Playing Wednesday segment. Again, thanks for having us on and you can find us on YouTube. And again, keep, keep playing, playing games.
10: Hi, everyone. Matthew here from Montreal-based board game publisher Scopio Maskey. Now, I know that a pandemic world isn't the best environment for party games, but if you are lucky enough to be in a bubble with a few other people, you have to try our game, Stay Cool. It is the best party game on the market at the moment. And I think we should know at Scorpio Masque, we have the number one party game on Board Game Geek at the moment, which is Decrypto. I have people sliding into my DMs all the time, uh, asking me why I'd never told them before about how amazing this game is. It's simple, it's fast, it's stressful, and it is hilarious. Do yourselves a favor and check out Stay Cool. It's, it's just the best. I am bad at planning. I can't do it. I am completely mystified by people who are able to look into the future like wizards and figure out what they're going to do at any given time, uh, determine what they will need to do it, and then allot themselves the necessary time to properly prepare themselves to do it. I mean, it's under, utterly beyond me. Weekends with the kids are usually improvised on the fly and they're often disappointing. When the family goes on holiday, I spend my entire time before fretting about what to bring and then packing in a rush at the last minute and leaving three hours late and leaving half of the stuff at home. Ironically, <laughs> one of my new tasks at work is project management, but for some reason, I'm able to do that because it's about seeing an entire task and breaking it into its constituent elements and then laying them out in order. I can do that. I'll come back to that. So this week, I'm going to break with tradition. And instead of telling you what I've been playing, which honestly hasn't been much, some weeks it uh, it just doesn't work out, I'm going to tell you what I haven't been playing and why. I haven't been playing Zolkin, the Mayan calendar. Now, before I start, don't worry. My aim here isn't to bash this game or to pass judgment on it or anything like that. I'm just going to tell you why I haven't been playing it. And probably never will again. Zolkin is a game that has an incredible table presence. Like, really, it's just astounding. Even people who have never played the game before are able to identify it in a second. It's that game with the huge cogged wheel at the center, surrounded by five smaller ones. And when you turn the big cog in the center, they all turn as well. Well, I've seen some incredible paint jobs on those wheels that really bring the game to life even more. Now, the theme is pretty loose, as it is with most Euros, you know, standard... Fair there, you're the leader of a Mayan tribe, and you're trying to construct buildings, make sacrifices to please the gods, and get the most victory points at the end. Now, Tzolk'in is a worker placement game with rondelles. That's the mechanism with the wheels. The idea of the game is that on your turn, you either place your workers onto the satellite wheels, paying corn, which is the basic basic, uh, currency of the game, To place them in those spaces further along from the first spot on the wheel, or you can take them off the wheel on your turn, getting the benefit of that space that the worker occupies at the time. Now, one wheel is for getting corn, one's for getting resources, one's for building buildings, one's for trading, and one is for sacrificing crystal skulls to the gods. And the whole game is about, yeah, you guessed it, planning. It's about making sure that you place your guys in the right order and at the right moment to be able to remove them from their respective wheels to combine resource acquisition, building, sacrificing, and harvesting all at the same moment. Oh, and that corn you've been spending? You also need it to feed your workers. And that temple track? Better make sure you climb it to get the valuable resources when the big wheel ticks past the brown marker. And I can't handle it. I just, I find this game... Unbelievably stressful. At almost every moment of the game I feel like I'm making bad decisions. Or that I'm about to. Or that I just did. And numerous times during the game I simply... Just don't know what to do. I've collected my resources, I built a building, and now I, I have nothing left. But I better collect some corn. But I don't have enough corn to get on the corn wheel to get corn to feed my workers with corn. And if I don't have enough corn, the gods are gonna punish me. And how do I have six points while everyone else has 27? And tons of corn. And so the game goes. My opponents leap on and off the wheels with bushels of gold, stone, wood, and, yes, corn, and buildings spring up around them. It's like, it's like they're jumping on and off the bus or off the metro. And meanwhile, my workers are missing their stop, getting off too early, and occasionally, you know, starving to death. For want of corn. And it is such an unpleasant experience for me. I played about six games of it, reading online strategy tips all the while, before I was able to be somewhat competitive. I think I even won a game or two. And then after ten or so games, we took a break, and then a couple months later, we played again, and I had the exact same feeling I'd had the first time we played. That sinking stomach of not knowing what the hell is going on. Except my opponent seemed like they'd just played yesterday, and it finished 75-69-12, to or something ridiculous like that. And that's when I realized that Zolkin, the Mayan calendar, is simply not for me. Even when I was somewhat competitive, it wasn't fun for me. It was torture. It was planning. And if my attention wavered, even for a moment, the whole thing would collapse. And that's not an evening of gaming I want to take part in. Now, this is not to say that Zolkin is a bad game. Like I said at the top, if you love planning, if you love setting up complex systems to watch them come together in a complex ballet of skulls, structures, and freaking corn, Zolkin is definitely for you. But if organizing an outing to the orchard with the kids gets your palms sweating, you too may find that once again this week, you will not have been playing Zolkin. Oh, and a little side note, bizarrely, I'm almost almost unbeatable at Istanbul. Eh, go figure. That has something to do with that whole project management thing. You go in the little circuits and stuff? I don't know. So that's it for me this week. My name is Matthew Legault, and I have not been playing Zolkin. (laughs) Please check out Stay Cool. As I mentioned at the top of the segment, it's a game that is almost as fun to watch others play as it is to play yourself. Trust me, you will have a blast. Thanks again to the gang at Cardboard Conjecture for having me on, and I'll see you all next time.
11: Hi, I'm David, and I'm Shay, and this is What Have You Been Playing, our weekly conglomerate of podcasters putting together some uh, games that they talk about uh, on tonight's show, or segment? Segment. Segment. On tonight's segment, we'll be talking about a roll and write, which is one of our favorites, called Cartographers.
12: Really more of a flip and write than a roll and Flip and write. write. Yeah.
11: Yeah, because you're not rolling anything. No. Uh, in this game, you are going to flip cards. There's going to be four seasons. Each season is going to score two of the scoring cards. Uh, each scoring card gets scored twice. And depending on how well you do is, uh, the winner.
12: Yeah. So you score A and B first, then B and C, then C and D, and then D and A. Yes. So you go around, uh, you have your little board that you write on. We've laminated ours so that we yep. can use wet erase markers um and yeah basically you have what is it five or six different if you include the monsters i think there's six, six
11: different uh, uh terrain types
12: yeah so when you flip a card there will be a terrain type or multiple sometimes yep. there's two on there and then a shape that you have to draw that in
11: yeah you're basically putting tetris shapes on this board yeah uh, there's two sides to the board one that has a big crater in the middle, or the ruins or something, I forget Mm -hmm. what they call it, and the other one that's just wide open. Yeah. Uh, The only other special spaces on the board are mountain spaces and ruins spaces.
12: Yeah, and mountains you can't build over, but once you surround the four sides of the mountain, you get a coin. Yeah. And there are cards that relate to, depending on which terrains are touching them, you may get points.
11: Yeah, some of the scoring cards really affect the mountains.
12: Yeah. And then the temple cards, you can't, or temple spaces, you can't place over them until you flip a temple uh, card. Yes. Once you flip one of those cards, you flip another one. And using that terrain type and that uh, shape, you have to put it over top of a temple tile.
11: Yeah. Uh, if at any point in the game you can't legally place the sh- card that you flipped, you can do a one-by-one one of any type anywhere on the board.
12: Yeah. And then the other special card are the monsters. And the way the monsters work, you, again, will flip them over. Yep. Uh, You pass your map in front of you, either left or right, depending. The card will show you. Yep. And then that player and yourself have to draw the monster shape uh, onto your board.
11: Yeah. So you have one of your neighbors drawing the monster board on your, or the monster on your board. Yeah. Those monsters count against you during each scoring round. For each side available or still not covered, you lose one point. Yeah. Uh, They can be damaging, as we found out the last couple of games.
12: Yeah, my last game, I I lost thirteen points. I think with one of my monsters.
11: Yeah, you know, being the it's really the interactive portion of the game, and it can be really. You know, you can be really mean to somebody. Yeah, and, and you, and you, you try be. to be really yeah. mean to somebody. <laughs> uh, but it's all in fun. Uh, this game, no matter who I've played with, has never not gone over. Like, I haven't found anybody that doesn't like it.
12: Yeah, it, you know, roll-and-rights are pretty, roll-and-rights, flip-and-rights are really nice to new players, right? So you yeah. can pretty much play them with everybody. I think this is one of the maybe more thinky, of the flipping rights. There's still not a lot going on other than figuring out where best to place your shape. Um, but I think it's really fun. I have a really good time with it. It has an expansion coming out.
11: Uh, basically, a second version. It's Cartographer's Heroes. It was on uh, Kickstarter not too long ago. Should be shipping fairly quick, actually. Uh, this is part of the role player universe. Where you have role player, you have cartographers, you have uh, lockup, and role player adventures is coming as well at the same time as this one. Uh, roll and rights do get a bit of a bad name just because for a year or for about five months there, everybody was putting out a roll and right. Yeah. Uh, this one seems to have stayed prominent or relevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, for us, it is. Between it and Fleet the Dice game, I think, is our two favorites right now.
12: Definitely, yeah. Yeah. And definitely one of our most played.
11: Definitely one of our most played. Okay, so that is Cartographers. We are bored on the air. You can find us on CFCR radio in Saskatoon and their website or app every Thursday at 6 o'clock. And all of your local podcast sites. Have a great night.
12: Talk to you next
9: week.
0: Hey everybody, it's Norm from Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers. We have a Facebook page, Bridge City Board Gamers Community, and on that page we have a regular thread called What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and I like to read stuff off that thread and have board gamer envy. So let's start. Uh, On the top, and not surprised, regular contributor Lane. Lane said he finished the dungeon and he played Dominion. The dungeon, I believe, is that uh, a dungeon adventure. So cool. Yeah, Dominion, the granddaddy of the deck builders. Jeff, Jeff said Point Salad. Yay, that's awesome. Uh, Formula Day or Formula D, cool racing game. I want to play it, wish to play it. The Crew. That's a trick-taking game, cooperative trick-taking game that I have, and I've yet to get it going. Keyflower and Paleo. Keyflower, awesome, but Paleo, ooh, that's a new one, I think. If if that's what I'm thinking of, yay, that's been on my radar. Jason said that Amy and I played Viscounts of the West Kingdom, uh, Constellations, Terraforming Mars, Mountain Goats, GPS, Castles of Burgundy, and La Isla. Uh, wonderful selection. Holy moly. Yeah. And uh, if I remember correctly, the board gaming environment that you created for yourself. Well done. Well done. Moving on. Ryan, who uh, wasn't able to contribute tonight, so I'll read his posting. We have been continuing our plays of Cloud Age and also got in a bunch of plays of Quacks of Quedlinburg online. I've been playing regular games of Grand Austria Hotel Castles of Burgundy, Raj, Rajas, Raha's of the Ganges, and Carpe Diem. Coal. There's a lot of heavy Euro going in that one. Uh, moving on, Tim, Warhammer Underworlds, Dire Chasm. Um, I'm gonna. That's one I'm gonna again. Warhammer. I'm so out of my element with Warhammer, but man, I'd love to paint those minis. Then uh, that's not an advertisement, please. I got my own stuff to paint. <laughs> All right, Eli. Played Tiny Towns. Yes, Tiny Towns. I love that game and I suck at it. Hands. Castles of Burgundy. Terraforming Mars. Ruin Stones. Lost Ruins of Arnak. Welcome to. Dragon's Breath. <gasps> my Village. Honeybuzz. Haloratu, Haloratao. That's that new Uwe Rosenberg everyone's everyone's playing it saying good things about it let's hope that continues um just scrolling back to what uh hans has been playing castle i love castles of burgundy terraforming rars uh, lost runes of arnak i haven't played that one yet i have the i have the space version of it called dune um i think it's imperium yeah so cool garth 18 chesapeake nice Dutch Blitz, hand trauma, <laughs> Marvel Legendary. Um, it is. Is it just me or is this game surprisingly hard to win? Legendary keeps kicking my family's butts. Um, yeah, it, yeah if, if the sequence doesn't come right and if you get bombarded, yeah. And you know if you've seen me play every game, <laughs> Travis. Oops. Somehow I missed this post this week. We tried out Maracaibo for the first time. Loved it. It was uh, grasped that initial play feel of Great Western Trail all over again. Yes. Yes. There is absolutely uh, threads of DNA in in Maracaibo that come from uh, Great Western Trail. Uh, Yeah. I played... uh, Brian, I think think it was uh, In the Summertime when we were able to still have, uh, extended bubbles, uh, we played, all three of us, all the three hosts of Cardboard Conjecture, and yeah, yeah, what a really cool game, I want to play that one again, definitely, cool, well, that's, uh, gonna wrap up our episode, thank you very much for all these fantastic contributors, I'm very proud to, uh, to creatively participate in the same project, so thank you so much, and, uh, as it is always, take care out there and keep your stick on the ice. This has been an episode of What You Been Playing Wednesday, brought to you by the interesting people at Cardboard Conjecture, where isolation doesn't really have much effect on you because. All work and no play makes Norma dull no boy. All work and no play makes Norma dull no
11: boy.